the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. For those looking to take their market and business knowledge to the next level, we offer Magic Markets Premium, a research reports and podcast library that nearly has 100 reports in it and a new one every week, all available for just 99 Rand a month. Recent reports have included the likes of Kroger, Deer & Co, Foot Locker, McDonald's, UPS, Apple, Meta, Johnson & Johnson & Swatch. With broad variety and deep research, this is perfect for anyone looking to go to the next level. We invite you to join us in Magic Markets Premium. Go to magic-markets.com to subscribe. This episode of Magic Markets is brought to you by B2IT. Have you heard of Robotic Process Automation or RPA? It taps into the incredible potential of artificial intelligence to effortlessly handle those never-ending, monotonous tasks. Or as B2IT put it, they make robots so people don't have to be robots. Visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey. We thank B2IT for their support of Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 151 of Magic Markets. We've gone past the 150 milestone. We had a great chat last week about Dexcom with Justin Brophy of Ambrose. So go back and check it out if you missed it. And we are back to doing two different companies in one show, just Mo and I this week, no guests. So thanks to B2IT, our sponsor, for making that possible. Go check them out if you need some help with robotic process automation and that kind of thing, all the smart stuff that Mo, you and I don't understand. We understand a little bit about markets and maybe we can uh, dive into a couple of companies this week and add a bit of value. I'd like to think we add a bit of value, Ghost. Again, uh, good to be on the show with you. And back to our format, you know, we we look at stocks globally. Uh, This week, we're going to be looking at some home builders. You know, it's been an interesting market. Uh, And globally, I'm going to look at a company called D.R. Horton. Uh, This is very similar to a company we'd covered in Magic Markets Premium called Lena. Uh, And that's what I'm going to go with. Ghost, what are you looking at down there in South Africa? D.R. Horton sounds like Dr. Seuss listed a company. And Horton, here's the who, or here's a who. Anyway, so who I will be looking at is uh, mainly Bullwin, but a little bit of a nod to Calgro M3 as well. But I thought, let me focus on Bullwin because I think it's a brand that a lot of listeners will be familiar with. I mean, everyone knows Bullwin in South Africa. You know, they kind of develop uh, properties that lots of people have seen or advertised or whatever the case may be. So yeah, looking forward to that. But I'll I'll let you go first this week. Why don't you hit us with uh, your first bit of news there? On Dr. Horton, Gary who? Doctor, you, you joke about it. I mean, every time I look at this company's name, it's actually Dr. Horton. It's not Dr. Horton, and I've had to stop myself from calling it Dr. Horton. So I, I think that's fair. We'll take the Dr. Seuss pun uh, the way it was intended. Let, let's maybe rewind a little bit, Ghost. So as I indicated in Magic Markets Premium, it was back in September 2022 we covered a competitor to Dr. Horton, and that is a company called Lena. And again, for those of you that are subscribers, go and check it out. That's L-E-N-N-A-R. Now, what do these companies do? They focus on the construction of predominantly single-family homes, townhomes, condominiums, so very much residential-type real estate. And Lena operating in that space, I'm going to just maybe recap for those that that might have actually missed it. Uh, If you're a subscriber, you will have seen this. Back then, that stock was actually testing its 200-week moving average. And looking at some of the macro backdrop, we were actually a little bit bearish. You know, it was testing its 200-week moving average. And we said, given the macro backdrop, there's a lot of risk to the downside here. Rates were going up. You know, and if rates go up, 
you know, theoretically, people don't buy homes, and that could actually hurt a player that's operating in the home building space. But we did indicate there was a caveat that if the support held, you could possibly see that stock move a little higher. Wasn't our central thesis. Well, guess what? That stock from where it was back then rallying very, very strongly. And if we look at DR Horton, now the company we're discussing today, it's been very much an industry-wide kind of move. So my, my first point on this is maybe one out of interest, Ghost, in a rising interest rate environment where you hear a lot of talk around you know, potential pressure on real estate and so forth, what do you think you can pick Take your pick year to date, or let's say one year, you know, because it's, it's roughly just over a year since we covered Lena. What do you think these stocks are actually up? Mm, I mean, I genuinely haven't. No, I'm just going to embarrass myself because I'm definitely going to get it wrong, obviously. I'm going to go with like, I don't know. I'm going to assume that they did well in an inflationary environment. Maybe they could push the prices through onto Americans who objectively have money. So, I don't know, 20%? Okay, so I would buy it 20%, right? These stocks, so DR Horton up, wait for it. 52% over the last year. Okay, Lena up 45%. So the industry as a whole has just done phenomenally well. And it, it almost, it belies any kind of sense of what the macro picture looks like. Because you'd argue that in a rising rate environment, there's going to be a lot of pressure. Well, guess what? That performance, that's remarkable. These guys have really shot the lights out. What's actually been a very tough market. Year to date, that's 41% and 39%. So kind of splitting hairs. But a lot of that return has kind of accrued over the, the, the last year. And then it, it's been volatile. So the last month you've had them, you know, kind of coming off lows of, and, and they've rallied around 24% and 17%. So the point I just wanted to land on here for my very first point is that the industry has actually surprised massively based on the macro backdrop. And this is why it's so important to not just look at the macro. You can always do the top-down analysis. Absolutely. But it's also important to understand, you know, what the company looks like from the bottom up. And I'm going to save those for some of my next points just to show you where has that performance actually come from? Why has the stock run so hard? Master of suspense, Mo. That's brilliant. So I'm going to start off my section, I suppose, by pointing out to those who don't follow me on Twitter that I am generally quite a property bear. I rent the place that I live in. I have owned twice before. And in both cases, the returns were not amazing. One place was really bad. That was in Joburg. And the Cape Town townhouse I subsequently lived in was decent, but uninspiring. So I generally put property ownership into the lifestyle bucket rather than being a great investment, unless you somehow really crack the code. And then people go and spend a lot of time renovating properties and are proud of their profits, but they don't actually price their time. Story for another day. But one of the reasons why I am bearish on just these sort of apartment development businesses and selling those apartments to the upwardly mobile in South Africa is that South Africa has a terrible transport infrastructure. Now, that's you haven't heard incorrectly. I really did say that. Let me explain. It sounds like a daft statement, but I've spoken to banking executives about how their credit books behave in a time of distress. The reality is South Africans will default on their home loans before their car repayments. Now, before you jump on the soapbox of, oh, South Africans don't understand money and low financial education and blah, 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 the reality is that mobility is life in South Africa. Without it, you cannot earn a good salary because then you are restricted to lower income jobs and you are reliant on public transport, which is a huge problem, or Ubering, which is vastly more expensive than owning a car if you're doing it every day. So when consumers are looking at their budgets and their affordability, they buy cars and they rent apartments. Now, conventional wisdom, our parents tell us this is stupid, but the conventional wisdom is wrong, in my opinion, and I think more people are realizing this. I'm definitely not suggesting you should go off and finance an M3 and then go and rent property you can't afford. That's not what I'm saying. 
I just think that buying a house doesn't always work out as well as people think, and you do need mobility. So a company like Baldwin is selling to people who have the option to rent instead. They are typically established in their lives. They are upwardly mobile. They're in a state of flux. A lot of them don't have kids yet. Obviously, I'm, I'm really hitting the, the demographic stereotypes here of their target market. But, you know, living in South Africa, knowing people who live in Baldwin apartments and the type of vibe you get there, this is not far off the truth. So moving around is not an inconvenience for this market. In fact, the flexibility is valuable. They don't want to be tied down. Now, a company like Calgro M3, which is also listed on the JSE, that's different. They are selling that first step on the property ladder to people who in many cases are buying for the first time and often with subsidies. A lot of Baldwin buyers are also first-time buyers, but they are upper-middle-class South Africans in terms of their earning power, upper to mid-LSM. Calgro M3, that's not what you're dealing with here. This is a lower-income consumer clutching at the hope of some stability to get out of more dangerous areas and actually live a better life than their parents enjoyed. Just a completely different market. And if you understand that about South Africa, then you'll understand why Baldwin is working a lot harder to sell properties right now, in my opinion, than Calgro M3. Jeez, I, I love that. You know, such, such nuanced views. And I, I actually quite enjoyed the one around people defaulting on their homes before their cars. I mean, that's, that's one that's contra to conventional wisdom. Uh, but the reason I loved your point, and that and that is straight from a banking CFO. Before everyone jumps on, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Where is the data that I deal with on Twitter day in and day out? Like this is straight from the mouth of a banking CFO. So I'm going to take it as fact. But but it's also correlated some of the other trends you you indicated. I mean, you've indicated the difference between you know Baldwin and Calgro M3 from an income and just a market positioning perspective. And the reason I love the point is we don't script these shows, right? So I don't know what you're going to say, but it actually ties into my next point on the whole kind of DR Horton and the, the Lenar debate, right? If you look at the relative performance, yes, the industry as a whole has done well, but I want to touch on one point before jumping into some numbers. And that is that DR Horton actually focuses on affordability. That's part of their entire investment thesis. It's, it's where they position themselves in the market versus the likes of a Lenar that maybe operates across a wider spectrum of that construction industry, and maybe you know slightly higher priced homes and so forth. The other difference as well is that Lenar actually embeds a, a mortgage lender. They own a subsidiary that's in the mortgage lending business. Now, you can understand how that aspect of the business would get absolutely smashed in an industry where, yes, maybe you know higher rates in the US, just an important point, higher rates in the US don't immediately drop down to the household level. What I mean when I say that, a lot of people lock in their mortgages for 30 years. So what happens is that they just don't refinance, they just don't move because they, they're trapped into this low rate. They can't afford to finance at current rates. So that means activity levels may fall off, but it means that if you're a mortgage originator, you're not going to see any new deals. And that really hurts a player like Lena versus a player like DR Horton. So that affordability and where you play on the LSM curve, very important. And I guess I would say a feed through or commonality between the South African market and the US market. But the fact of the matter is that the US is a very different market. I mean, the fact that we've had these 40 plus percent returns on a year to date basis in some of these home builder players tell us that there's something else happening here. And what is that? Well, if you look at North America, there is this chronic housing supply shortage. And that's in the US, that's in Canada as well. And yes, I'll take the point, it does depend on where, which urban centers you're looking at. But that housing shortage is part of the reasons why a company like DR Horton has done so well. So what does so well look like? Well, they've just finished their fiscal 2023. So it was actually a nice set of numbers to go and have a look at. And they saw a 
9% increase in total revenue, strong sales in their multifamily business. Multifamily, remember, condominiums, you know, that kind of thing, not the single family homes. Again, where you're playing on the LSM curve. And despite seeing a 6% decline, that's year on year, in home building revenue, their earnings per share actually exceeded analyst forecast. So maybe it's a combination of the market was really bearish, ourselves included, and some of that actually came back in to say, well, maybe it's not as bad as you expected it to be. Now, the other good news here was that they'd actually had five consecutive quarters of declining new orders, but they actually saw that turnaround. And Q4, this last quarter here, they actually saw new orders increasing by over 39% year on year. That number's over 18,000 new homes. So that kind of performance may be indicating to you that you know, U.S. consumers might be saying the worst is behind us. Maybe things are starting to stabilize. You know, recession didn't really materialize. And what are they doing? Well, I would go out on a limb to say there are some consumers, you know, people that are looking to buy homes, uh, pent up demand. Maybe they've got some some saved up reserves or savings uh, through the COVID years. Remember, everyone in the U.S. got these large stimmy checks. And if they didn't go and YOLO that on crypto and NFTs and all of that other stuff, I would argue they've got enough for a down payment on a home. And that's what you're starting to see maybe come through with players like DR Horton. So in aggregate, strong set of numbers, beat market expectations. They actually increased their quarterly cash dividend by 20%. So that tells you that the company themselves reasonably confident because if they weren't confident in the outlook, in the order book, and their ability to deliver on that, I would argue they wouldn't have increased the, the, the cash dividend. If we compare this, last point, and then I'll move over to you, Ghost. If we compare this to what's happened in the REIT space with existing properties and rental yields, REITs have had a terrible time, just in general, just because REITs also tend to trade as a bond proxy. And when you have rising rates, that means lower bond prices, lower REIT prices. That's been the pain trade. And arguably, the place to play, supposedly hindsight is perfect. I missed this one. I didn't get this one. Uh, you know, I had been invested in, in, in DR Horton a long time ago, sold out. But the pain trade were in the REITs and the value trade was sitting here in the home builders all along. That's so interesting. So I think Mo, I really enjoyed the reference there to the dividend and the signal that gives you. And that's absolutely right. You know, people talk about dividend theory. Does it really matter? The whole bird in the hand story. I think what we often look at is if you can just look at the sort of payout ratio and direction of travel on the dividend, it tells you something about management's belief in the future. That's about all it tells you, but it's useful nonetheless. So I'm not going to do share price performance on my side. And we genuinely don't send these points to each other before the show. So it's funny how often we we do similar things. But over five years, Baldwin, that's down nearly 33%. Wonderful. Almost as bad as buying one of the properties and working it out after costs. And uh, Calgro, that's down 49%. So for all my cheekiness about Baldwin, that's worse. So both of those have been awful from a five-year starting point. But over the last 12 months, get this, Baldwin, that's down 28 Calgro, up more than 35 So there's a relative trade for you if ever there was one. As usual, everything is about timing. Calgro clearly has done a good job of turning their story around. They've protected margins. They've gotten a lot of the basics right. But what they've really done, which has really, really worked, is extensive share buybacks. They were trading at a ridiculous discount to NAV. So honestly, that Calgro share price performance is as much about capital allocation as anything else. And it just shows you when it comes to listed investments, the management capital allocation decision is such a huge driver of returns. But I actually want to focus on Baldwin, which I think is a little bit more interesting operationally, just in terms of the average listener to a Magic Markets podcast, is definitely more likely to be a Baldwin client than a Calgary M3 client. So let's do Baldwin in more detail. 
If I look at their latest numbers dealing with the six months to August, their revenue, that's down 25%. The number of sold apartments fell by 39%, so volume's down even more. Where I will absolutely give them credit is their gross margin. It went up from 26% in the base period to 33% in this period, so that's very good. Very much a focus on margin, highly necessary in this environment. Although I've got to tell you, I was in Joburg about two weeks ago, I think. I saw an incredible amount of promotional activity by Baldwin on my trip there, specifically around Monte Cassino. So don't underestimate the level of marketing spend that is going into making Baldwin a reality. But where I really get worried is when I see stuff like rental income as part of their annuity revenue portfolio, which has all kinds of different things in it. It's a relatively small source of revenue in the group, but the message it sends me is, you know, damn, we couldn't sell this. I guess we may as well rent it out. So that does call capital allocation into question. Are they building too many apartments? Should they be slowing down, returning more capital to shareholders? I mean, just look at what Culgram 3 has achieved by actually executing share buybacks at the right time. And the market has been asking the capital allocation question about Baldwin for a long time now. That's why the tangible net asset value per share is 8 Rand 43 and the share price is 2 bucks 25 So that is a massive discount to NAV. If Baldwin could just free up capital and follow a share buyback program, imagine what they would do to that share price. Just look at Calgram 3. It's not hard to imagine. You can literally look in the same sector and see what can happen. Again, I mean, that's that's fascinating. And I'll tell you why. It kind of ties into my next point as well. No one's going to believe us, Mo, that we don't do this on purpose. <laughs> we, 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 no one is going to believe it. So, so Ghost, you've, you've touched on margin. And, and what was interesting for me is, again, just having a look at margin here on, on DR Horton, right? Their, their gross margin actually declined. So whilst the volume story was a good news story, and that's what I kind of painted in my previous kind of point on this company, margins actually declined. They declined by 320 basis points on a year-on-year basis, but they're, they're still pretty decent. They're around 25.1%. Uh, and this indicates that, you know, yes, they've got some pricing power, but there is still pressure. So volumes are there, but there is pressure. And in fact, if you have a look at management guidance, despite that optimism and increasing the dividend, you know, we've spoken about capital allocation and Baldwin down, Baldwin down there, but here management is guiding for a sequential decline in margin as we go into 2024. And the reasons they've cited are, wait for it, elevated sales incentives. You said a lot of promotional activity from Baldwin. Well, it's the same story up here. So you've got to just try a little bit harder to try to go out there and sell your homes. And then obviously the impact from higher mortgage rates. You then touched on the capital allocation point and the balance sheet. And what's interesting for me here with DR Horton is that the company's focus strategically is actually to shift towards an asset light land acquisition strategy. Now, this is very different to Baldwin sucking up all of the inventory because maybe they couldn't sell it and then renting it out. Is up here, the focus is saying they want to kind of focus on the affordable products, the homes that they're building out there. They want to improve their return on invested capital. And how are they going to do that? Well, they're going to be quite judicious in how they go out there, acquire the right parcels of land, but maybe do that in a strategic manner that doesn't tie up, that doesn't bog down the balance sheet. So strategically, that for me is sending the right signals. Whether they get it right or not, that's a different question. But strategically, I think the comparison is stark. If you look at a player, as you've indicated down there, who's really sucking up a lot of air from their balance sheet to just kind of keep this going, maybe holding the inventory, waiting for a better economic cycle, up here, a very strong, firm, strategic focus from the company, and it starts to come through in the numbers. I'm going to land on the last few points. And that is, just look at a couple of metrics, because I know our listeners ask us, you know, do you look at metrics? What's the dividend yield? 
if you're buying a company like DR Horton, you're not buying it for the dividend. It's got a dividend. Yes, it's a 1% dividend. That's not going to move anyone's needle. So yes, even though the company announces this increase in the quarterly cash dividend, you're not actually buying the stock for the dividend yield. You're buying it for the underlying performance of the company and for those earnings to come through. What does that look like if we use just, let's say, a conventional measure price to earnings ratios around 8 that's not incredibly demanding. But again, you know, I, I understand it's not, you don't just look at one metric and say, hey, this company's cheap. So I'm not doing that. I'm saying if we look at ROEs, ROEs in this business have been remarkably strong for some time. And so if you look at that and you adjust it for the price to book, for example, that's a metric that we've looked at in, uh, historically on both these players, on Lena, on DR Horton, those come out at double digit levels. And that is quite compelling against a backdrop of, again, U.S. Treasuries, if you would argue, risk-free at around 5%. You do actually tend to capture, I would argue, some economic value by playing in this space. Now, the big caveat, the big caution is, if you have a look at the share price, and it's surprising, just given how markets have been a little bit tetchy in some sectors, we always talk about tech and how tech has done really well. Well, DR Horton's done really well, and they, they were at an all-time high just in July. So we're only marginally off those all-time high levels. And that tells you, just be sensitive, be cautious. Yes, the momentum has been strong, but management is guiding for a little bit of a slowdown in terms of margins. Maybe they can protect volumes, but margins are going to come under pressure. So just be sensitive to the price that you're paying. But effectively, if I had a look at this at a macro level, there is a compelling investment thesis if you want to be playing in the space. So for my final point on the show, Mo, I'm going to take it down a bit into the Baldwin details. And I want to dig into some of the more interesting operational items in their latest numbers. So the first is the regional split of apartments recognized in revenue. The Western Cape, that was nearly half of the volumes in this period. Gauteng was the third and the rest was KZN. So that semigration trend is very visible there, like strong coastal contribution to this. It is the first time in Baldwin's history that the Western Cape was the largest contributor to sales. Now, we can also look at the different collections within the portfolio and within their strategy. So they have three different collections. The lower income one is called the green collection. That's priced from roughly 600,000 Rand for an apartment to over 1.5 million. Then you have the classic collection. That's the classic, sorry, four-story developments that Baldwin is known for. That's ranging from around 750K for an entry-level apartment through to 3.2 million Rand. If you really enjoy the stairs and you really want to walk all the way to the top, I guess. Uh, I see you shaking your head, Mo. Don't worry, I feel the same, but people buy them. So there's some overlap there, but the lifestyle offerings are clearly the differentiator. And then you get the signature collection. Now, if you were concerned about classic, just you wait. These are priced at between 900,000 Rand. And Mo, just guess, what, what is a top-end Baldwin signature collection property cost. No idea. I've got no frame of reference. I mean, if the bottom's 900K, you were already like shaking your head at 3.2 million. Let's go ridiculous. Like what? Like 10 million bucks for like a penthouse that you still have to climb up to. That's a very good guess. 11 million. <laughs> 11 million rand. Look, I shudder to think how they sell an 11 million rand property to someone in the same complex as a 900,000 rand property. I don't understand enough about those developments though. So I'm sure they are separate, but it still seems like just a wild risk. I'm not sure why they are trying to play in that space. I'm really not sure. What I can tell you is that the lower income focused green collection is barely 10% of revenue. So Bowen's exposure is very much to your middle class and up who want to either immigrate or rent because they might immigrate. I and mean, I'm being a little bit facetious here, but there's a lot of truth in that. We all know this. The classic collection is roughly three quarters of revenue 
and the rest sits in the signature collection, the high-end stuff. Now, the green collection has been concentrated in Gauteng. So that's part of the problem because the trajectory there, despite the name, is actually in the red. Now, the final point here for the property buying enthusiasts who, you know, don't hate me yet, is that the classic collection, so that's the four-story jobbies, the average selling price, okay, over the past year, for one beds, up 3%. Very exciting when inflation is, what, six or seven? Two beds, minus 3%. And for three-bedroom units, flat selling price. So the green collection, the lower income stuff, that's where the price growth has been, between 8% and 14%. But that's the stuff that they are struggling to sell because it's concentrated in Gauteng. And the signature developments, that's very much more development specific. So they don't actually give average selling price. And that makes sense because the stuff they sold last year is different to what they sold this year. So I guess my overall point here is Baldwin is very much targeting mid to higher income earners in an environment where property prices are not really going up. So buying is not as appealing as renting, to be quite honest. We can see it in the average selling price because if there was demand and property prices were going up, guess what? Baldwin would get a higher average selling price. But in an environment of rampaging interest rates, mobility costing a fortune, again, you've got to finance your car. So you're going to do that first and then you're going to rent your house. Like That is how it's working at the moment for consumers. So I'm certainly still not bullish on Baldwin. Having said that, if they would just realize that doing proper share buybacks at scale and actually calming down on some of the capital allocation stuff would probably make a really big difference to the share price. Then you could see this thing actually have a good year. As I say, we can see it in Calgram 3. If you ask me to choose between the two, I would go with Calgram 3 at this point in time with the disclosure that they have been on Unlock the Stock a couple of times. So I have had the chance to engage with the management team. Uh, Baldwin has not. So maybe that's an important disclosure. And hopefully this helps our listeners understand a bit more about uh, property development in South Africa. And abroad. You know, if, if we look at Atlanta, uh, DR Horton, yeah, my preference between the two, if I were looking at a, at a global versus SA split, I, I would still favor the, the kind of US from a de-risked perspective, simply because I, I get the sense that that supply-demand dynamic, that imbalance, that's one that's got a little bit of a longer tail. And the fact of the matter is that these companies are generating reasonable ROEs, uh, uh, ROICs, return on invested capital as well. Uh, these companies have similar margins to their South African counterparts, but it's in hard currency. So my preference would be for, I guess, the US over South Africa in this particular aspect. And then between those two, again, you're splitting of hairs, but I probably don't like the mortgage origination, the mortgage business that sits in Lena. So it'd probably end up with, with DR Horton instead. But what do you think as our listeners? Because that's where we've got to leave it this week. Uh, hit us up on social media. It's at Magic Markets Pod. One word, it's at Mohammed Nalla and at Finance Ghost. Or go and find us on LinkedIn and pop us a note on there. We hope you've enjoyed this. And until next week, same time, same place. Thanks and cheers. Ciao. We thank our sponsor, B2IT, for making this show possible. B2IT is all about making life easier, one robot at a time. If you hate it, automate it. Visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.